1: We proceed through adversity one step at a time, one face at a time. And also, we have to learn how to recalibrate our approaches to the moment of adversity. Mm -hmm.
2: Hobie Sharma is a multifaceted individual who wears the hats of both an accomplished author and a skilled lawyer. After graduating from law school with honors in 2018, he worked for a few firms before deciding that it wasn't what he wanted to do. In the pandemic of 2020, Colby published The Curveball, a story of grit, adversity, and winning the game of life, which takes readers on an awe-inspiring journey through the depths of struggle, imparting invaluable lessons in perseverance, tenacity, and the cultivation of daily habits and tactics. Now hailed as a sought-after speaker, Colby harnesses his profound personal experiences to guide audiences towards a path of personal mastery and organizational resilience. Hi, this is People of Purpose, and I'm your host, Tanner Badgley. This week, we are speaking with accomplished author and skilled lawyer, Colby Sharma, who talks about the way of the underdog, lessons and principles to live your best life. Some of the topics we're gonna dive through are, his expertise in helping organizations unlock greater resiliency and adaptability in a post-pandemic world, Colby's analysis and advice on our real estate business challenges, having clear visions by embracing failures, adaptability, accountability, and perseverance through adversity, and a list of more interesting topics. Well, let's dive in. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. Hello, Colby, and welcome to People of Purpose podcast. Really excited to have you here with us today.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a real pleasure.
2: Absolutely. So Colby is the son of Robin Sharma. I'm sure you get that a lot. Um, your dad's super famous author, um, done a lot to inspire us in, at our house and in our business. And then you have your own thing, which is uh, being a resiliency expert. You help organizations unlock greater resiliency. You create better work. You, you It seems like you use adversity in times of challenge and struggle when you feel like the underdog to actually propel you like further than you could have ever imagined, which I think is a really cool twist that I'm excited to talk about with you today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you know, post-pandemic, there's so much friction that's taking place. There's so much change that's been taking place. And, and one of the things that I share in my, in, my, in my keynotes on resiliency is I share that, you know, we have to have a new playbook for this post-pandemic world, mm. for this post-pandemic market and the opportunity. We can't operate like we did in 2019. And the second thing is like, you know, what are you doing to adapt yourself to change? So one of the things I also share in the keynote is we don't just have a cost of living crisis. We don't just have market crises. We have an adaptability crisis. Too few people are adapting well to times of change and they're not taking advantages of those opportunities. So that's what I I share um, speaking and also in in, uh, my books.
2: Yeah, beautiful. What is it about the times we're in now that makes people less adaptable than maybe in the past?
1: Well, I think one of the things is people feel very scared. They feel very scared that, you know, there's a lot of fear of missing out, fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of my life might not have been as abundant before the pandemic, or I might not have done several of the things I wish I would have done today. Mm -hmm. If you look at in maybe business context, my life was great. I can't have a, I'm missing something in my toolbox that doesn't allow me to take advantages of today's opportunities in the markets. I'm unwilling. There's So there's a sense of internal and yet external friction when it comes to positively making the changes in your business and in your life to succeed in this post-pandemic market.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. How did you handle the pandemics? Uh, it looks like you wrote a book. Like at the start of it, now you're writing a second book. Yeah, just coming out with the second book. How was the pandemic for you? Knowing all that you know about change and adaptability.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the pandemic you know really made me very grateful in in so many ways. It really made me pause to think about you know what I can be doing better than I didn't maybe do as much of in 2019. Mm. It uh, gave me pause to think. It gave me pause to re- really implement a of, set of uh, great routines. And it, it was just a time to just slow down. And now those two years also made me hyper-creative and more for to get this book out because the curveball of the pandemic, I saw that and I said, you know, let's just lock and load on this. And this is the perfect time to release something that can help people you know become braver turn adversity that they're facing into their greatest opportunity
2: absolutely was there a time before uh, maybe in your teenage years or early 20s that you felt like you struggled with this like what makes this such a central topic to you that you feel like um some sort of calling to be able to teach people about
1: so really the genesis of the curveball and you know my curveball moment was uh time in my teens i i had a a slight learning challenge i i always knew I, I learned differently but i was still hyper creative i was still i loved speaking in front of people getting out there you know i remember in, in grade 1 i uh i could read a whole seven chapters from like a harry potter book from memory and i used to wow. go around like to my grade grade 1 class my my next door's teacher next door's teacher were like just look at this guy I can just recite I think it was Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix, number five, that big tombstone book from memory. Really, but I knew I I learned differently, and that was hard for me to take. But that was my curveball moment. That was a time in my life that I had to become more resilient to shift adversity into opportunity. And in that opportunity, I found my best friend, and I also found that you know it's because of people that learn differently. That has led to advances in in modern science and advances in uh, in tech and in business and in, in entrepreneurship. So
2: it's ultimately about embracing your unique quirks that seem different and don't fit in quite in the in the context that you know they're tried in. But if you just take ownership of them and take them to their extent, then they allow you to really max out your potential.
1: Exactly. I, I think too many times you know you go through the school system, the university systems. People are put into boxes. You know? They're not going to achieve X, Y, and Z because maybe they didn't perform well in the test doing X, Y, and mm-hmm. Z. But, but I think sometimes there's an inherent bias in favor of experience and in favor of you know doing the cookie cutter approach and undervaluing you know potential and hunger and drive and really. You know, really just saying, you know, I might not have all the cards right now. I might not fit the cookie cutter description, but yet I can take it to where this can truly can go. You know, if you look at in the startups, if you look at in so many times when people you know, have been doubted, I mean, one of the favorite stories I absolutely love is the story of Delonte West playing with LeBron and all those great teams and, you know, fallen victim to substance use and and the downward trajectory, but having to, he built himself back up and with the help of Mark Cuban is getting himself on the road to recovery. And that's just such a powerful story of of not only resiliency in times of change, but also how it's the simple things that really can unlock the greatest value down the line. It's the small people that, you know, that aid you when you're feeling down. It's the people that never stop having your back. His teammates, LeBron, ex-teammates, never stopped having his back, especially in in his his darkest moments. And that's what I share in the curveball. I, I say, you know, we proceed through adversity one step at a time, one base at a time. And also, we have to learn how to recalibrate our approaches to the moment of the first. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it seems like you have a gift for really understanding stories and s- picking out these like minor micro themes that you can then then blow up and just is a whole new paradigm shift about how to do life. What are some of these examples of these? I, I love sports. Yeah,
1: I love sports. I love soccer, like basketball, baseball. So and the the curveball that motif is is really baseball, but the metaphor for life's challenges and life's adversity beautiful
2: yeah i also baseball was my favorite sport growing up i played it super competitively from nine years old to 16 years old we were doing 70 games in the summertime traveling all over the country and that's where i learned this skill set too of resiliency and perseverance did you play baseball a lot is that how you got so connected to the baseball i did yeah in high school okay cool yeah in high school just locally B- beautiful. What is it specifically about baseball like, that that you I think be, is like? I want to be shortstop.
1: I need to be shortstop.
2: <laughs> so you were you were basically vying for that top varsity position, and you were kind of the underdog yeah, in that yeah. in that role.
1: No, I mean, I I would say I was an underdog in more so my my professional life hmm. in the law in the legal aspect. I, I I had the great privilege to work for one of Canada's largest banks, and I was I was an, uh, definitely an underdog in that role. I was in this environment knowing nothing about, I knew a bit about finance, but never worked in banking before, never worked for any type of a bank like that previously. So it was very new to me. And I had to really ask for help. I had to really leave the ego at the door. I had to really get back to basics, going one step at a time, relying on people for help. And one of the greatest moments was when I I passed my investment funds exam on the first go. And the whole bank just like celebrated me. Mm -hmm. We celebrated that night. So that was a moment coming from law uh, and into banking. And and I I went back to law after that.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love hearing about that. So what propelled you to decide that you needed to write and speak about these things rather than just doing them in a career profession or a way to make money? Why why go the extra mile and start writing and speaking about these things?
1: Because this is from the heart and that's from the head. Mm Mm-hmm this is something that i have a strong and deep why to do you know i really i'm very methodical about like how i take you know the books and and by extension the speeches but the books there's a deep why that to share with others they, i mean the curveball you know when i wrote the curveball uh, summer 2016 and i was at home you know uh, i was next to my dad but i also wrote it in Coffee shops when I had the time, I I actually took time out of the day to put an hour to writing, two hours mm. to writing, three hours to writing, wrote it on the subway. But what got me through that journey was the why in the book. You know, the deep why was when I had my learning challenge. I had the why because I saw the kids that I went to school with. I'm like, I'm writing it for them. You know, their curveballs are no different than any other's curve curveballs because we all fall victim to life's unexpected challenges. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact of, of life. So I had that deep unrelenting why. And I think only when you have that deep unrelenting, why does it make, you know, your company successful or your startup or your painting or, or any work of art or any endeavor.
2: Mm-hmm. And so what do you do now? Like professionally, you help organizations. So you work with startups and businesses Unlock kind of how they can use their curveball aspects to be able to unlock some greater potential that's uniquely theirs. How do you frame what you do for a living? So I I work with
1: uh, with organizations to help their teams unlock, uh, to become more resilient, to produce great work and master deep change. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Become more resilient to shift the perspectives and get great things done. Beautiful.
2: Well, uh, I wanted to share a little bit about where I'm at in my journey, and maybe we can have we can ground the conversation a little bit. So, Phil, Phil and I are business partners. He's on the call here, and my brother's our third business okay. partner. We started this real estate startup in Kansas City um, two and a half years ago. Yeah,
1: how was the business with family?
2: I I don't know. It doesn't seem dramatic to me or anything. It's like another smart person that's as committed as me. He's been close to me my whole life. We've been yeah. you know in each other's circles in a close way. We, we we had divorced parents, so we were always like a team. It felt like growing up and guess it feels like that now still. It's awesome. We also we also all live together in a house. Um so there's that aspect as well. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, our business started off not as purposeful as I think any of us would have liked it to be. We just needed to get revenue and get it off the ground. And we've been making these pivots and we finally found something we like and we feel is purposeful. Mm-hmm. We're providing home ownership to families that can't qualify with the banks. And we're getting these homes through, seller, through, yeah. through sellers that have not enough equity to sell or their property condition is not good enough to sell like outright on the market. And they're financing us. And then we're passing that yeah. financing on to these families. And in addition, yeah. we're building like a community of real estate entrepreneurs to kind of share resources and build a network. I love that. Um, so it feels awesome. But the, the challenge in this transition is, how to continue making money at a high level sure. while doing this, while choosing to feel good, but also grinding. So I just want to share that like we're in that phase of like the last six months we've transitioned yeah, our yeah. business model. We're trying to be purely doing what what's aligned to our purpose and our gifts. I think we kind of know what that is. We're having yeah. trouble getting the consistent revenue to happen because we don't have anyone that's running this model in our way, in our market, You know, other people are running it more like a solo operation where they're buying five or so a year and other people are running this high volume thing, but it's not our business model. It's more of like the wholesaling or fix and flip thing. So we're trying to combine hodgepodge models and be in alignment with our gifts, but we're struggling to do so in a way that creates enough revenue. And we're trying to remain really happy and abundant and alive and inspired and all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So... One thing I, I share in my talks is I share these like three R's of resiliency redefine, reflect, and reaffirm. So, if I said, like, you know, how would you redefine the business model just by doing only like one thing? What one thing would you do to redefine maybe your positioning or the business model? Like, you know, one thing that I also share is I share we have to shed out of perfection and embrace. In reflection, go back to incrementalism, incrementally pick one lane, pick one business model, pick one strategy, because it can be very like sexy to chase so many strategies. Yes. And, you know, the lack of revenue at the top is a definite concern. But I think when you're more selective, you have more revenue in the long term.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the adaptability phase that we're in, it's like, it seems like we still have to keep parts of the old, even though we've tried to shed them for three, four months, it seems like yeah. we have to bring some back to bring revenue in. Are you suggesting that maybe we didn't do enough incrementalism? Yeah. We did just a total 180, and we should, we should be more incremental
1: or yeah. Or in the old model that you might not have right now. And like, what did you chop and change?
2: Uh, A big one is like, who's buying our property? What kind of like legacy is happening with the deal? And now it's a family that's usually an immigrant that started their own business and can't work with the banks. Before it was like a hedge fund that has hundreds of millions of dollars turning into a rental property. Yeah. That's a big difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think in in that model right now, there's undercut the banks, 100%. Brilliant. Uh, Curation, You know, communities, immigrants need communities. So I think That is something to really that's a great USP. That's a great time uh, in the post pandemic world, because we all need community. We all need people to have our backs. And yeah, I'd say stick to what has worked. What where have you had more increase in the revenue, the old one or the new one?
2: The new one has more increase when you do a deal. It's just hard enough to find enough deals right now where the yeah. sellers will leave their mortgages in place or finance us. But when we get it, it's it makes more money for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And is it like is it replicable and scalable as it?
2: that's what we're trying to determine. Uh we don't know people that are doing yeah. like our strategy at scale right now. It seems like it can be, especially be serious,
1: and just go and just go with it. Yeah. I honestly I'd say just go with it. Just go with it. You know, yeah you, you have to go with like gut instinct on this one. Got instant on this one. If you have like several factors, if you ha- out of like five, if you have three that you know you know are working, you know can work, you can undercut the banks, you can you know, get good deal flow. I'd say go with it.
2: Go with it. Okay, Philip. Do you have any questions for him about this topic?
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess. I, I'm curious when you go in with the business. You said what? What's like the first steps that you really take to uh, to look at when you're working with a new client? Or you're going into a new company. Yeah. Um, is, is it those three R's or or what exactly yeah. is it?
1: So what I do is I I have a call with them and I'd say you know where is your team uh, like winning right now? You know what challenges are they facing? What awards have they won? How does the market look? What's the outlook? And then I really have like a call with them. I say you know what are you looking to get out of the speech? Etc. Cetera, et cetera. I want to know about their teams. I want to know, you know, how they do business. I, I had the fortune to work for the bank that I spoke for because I worked with them, so I knew how they did business because I, you know, I did business for them. Yeah. So that's that's my approach. I then then we have a call, and then I say, okay, let's just lock and load, get it done.
0: Okay. See more. See more. Clarify. What, like.
1: What were like, you do in before this?
0: Um, myself or Tanner. No, you. Okay. Um so before before I was doing real estate, I was um doing e-commerce. I was living in Bali, Indonesia oh, yeah. and Thailand and I was doing drop shipping and um, which is just middlemaning. yeah. It was basically yeah. middlemaning e-commerce products and I wasn't very fulfilled by it. We had some success, but it was it was a grind and I was at the end of the day, I was like selling broomsticks and like things I <laughs> that I wasn't like overly passionate about. <laughs> And um and and when the when the pandemic hit, um I ended my last business and Tanner invited me to join here and I, I knew Tanner was a really purpose driven person and I really wanted to bring more impact and purpose into my life, um so I moved out here to start this with Tanner.
2: Yeah, we met each other in Thailand. I at that time I was an English teacher teaching in the village, oh, and cool. in the process of getting engaged and married to my wife who I met in Thailand. Oh, nice. And this is my first business.
1: Were you in Bangkok?
2: Uh, I was in Chiang Mai. We were we were both in Chiang Mai in Northern Thailand. Nice. Yeah.
1: English teacher to uh, real estate
2: entrepreneur. Yeah, right. Well, it was quite, quite a shift.
1: shift.
2: <laughs> I had a lot of time out there to read and like <laughs> understand. Like I didn't have to work a lot out there to make good money. And so I spent a lot of time reading like yeah. the biography of Steve Jobs and listening to Tim Ferris's podcast and yeah, yeah, you know, reading some stuff from your dad yeah. and listening to stuff from your dad as well as part of it. Now we, I feel you like. Like Grant Cardone. Yeah, yeah, he's okay. I like him. Sometimes I feel like he's a different vibe than I am, but I think he knows what he's doing for sure.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. How does the real estate look in Kansas right now with like your clients and like you know, the the people you're you're getting?
2: Um. So yeah, we're basically building the the airplane while we're flying it. So it's like uh, we our clients I love that. Yeah. Um, we have kind of two side types of clients. We have the sellers and the buyers now before we mostly just dealt with the sellers and then we had some partner that sold to the buyers. So now we have to have two things going and almost a third thing now too, of like having some capital partners too, is something that we're looking that we're building out. Yeah. Investors. So yeah, the investor client. Would it be like uh, like equity partners, like in an LLC or. Um, that's not what we've been going for right now. We've just been going for like a, just a, a lender that goes on the mortgage, like publicly recorded that they're owed yeah, X amount it. of dollars. And we have an interest rate and a year's it. on it and stuff. Yeah. Got it. Got it.
1: So you, you want to have like a platform, like
2: one end and the one end. And then a, on one. End. it seems like this community. Like yeah. It's a three prong thing. And I would like to have it more connected in a yeah. sense of community with a brand, so far, we haven't really had a brand, so we've been we've been in the process of creating brand, and brand is like your values, what, your vision, where you're going, and it's like gathering people together, for like maybe everyone together, and then a group of you know this type of client, and then this type of client. That's like something on my mind. It's not directly revenue generating, but it does things to like get the word out there and get referrals coming in and things of that nature.
1: What's the what's the pathway? Like how 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 long does the journey generally- take you to get you know the check in the door or the e-transfer into your account. Like
2: how long does it take to, to close the deal? The deal? Uh, usually four weeks or so. So we open title, they do a title search, we get inside and like look at the property, then we create marketing material, we put it out in marketing places, people come see the <laughs> house, then they you know say what they want to pay, then they get ready to close. Four weeks at the longer end, uh, probably in a more mature version of this business model, it can be like a two-week closing process.
1: That, that's great for two weeks, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And do you think you're, you're, this is a really like blue ocean move?
2: I mean, I like it because uh, what we're doing is we're, we're taking a down payment. And so it has revenue today of like yeah. usually thir- $30,000 yeah. yeah. on average right now and then which is which is great and then it also has cash flow that's more than the rental cash flow because we are the way it works is we're selling it at a higher market value with a higher interest rate and then there's no there's no risk on the expense side because it's their house they fix the hot water heater or the roof if something were to happen Um, and they're invested with their down payment so it's a lot more hands-off it's just basically being in the finance arbitrage space rather than property management
1: that's a great model uh, that's a great model. Decrease the risk. You've yeah, decrease the risk. You know, you book the cash flow. Uh, it's a great model. Great model and very innovative.
2: Yeah, it feels a little bit innovative, which has been fun to figure out. Because so far, it's like everyone's got the same handful of models yeah. in real estate. It's been you know tried and true for a, a century or more. We're trying to do something that's different, out of the box. Where our marketing, our message is different than anyone's ever heard. And so we kind of stand out and are like in a category of our own, not getting commoditized, you know, with other people. Yeah. So I think
1: what what kind of what you offer your customers on a that undercuts the banks?
2: Well, usually we're not like our customers are usually not able to work with banks because they are usually like a, a like a Hispanic a contractor type that moved their family in the last five years from Mexico. They know how to yeah. do everything to fix yeah. a house. They don't really have, like, yeah. you know, up to speed taxes and LLC docs and W 2s. And so, but they have the down payment and the cash flow to be able to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. like bad credit rating. No credit usually, or mm-hmm. bad credit. And so, what we do is we usually are selling like maybe a percent and a half above the bank rates. Um, on most of our deals, but mm-hmm. we've also done a couple where it's the opposite, where we went under bank rates because we got it for three percent mortgage, yeah. and so we sold it five and a half percent since the yeah. rates have risen three percent in the last year. Really innovative. <laughs> Thank bro. you.
0: Yeah, I would say it's um is it kind of a blue ocean strategy, but like more and more people are starting to do this with the changing interest rates. So, but I still think that like our spend on it is is pretty unique and that we can do it better than anyone else in, yeah, in when the loop.
1: Building a moat. Use Buffett's term, you're building a moat around it. Like it's a really, a very defensible like concept because real estate is so, you know, there's so much like friction. There's so lack of like inertia in real estate and in professional industries like that.
2: Yeah, our buyers love it that yeah. they can just basically own a home like in a week, and there's like very little yeah. paperwork. They don't have to yeah. get screened by banks or anything. So it's it's definitely cool for that.
1: And has it been like operating like? In the pandemic or one year before
2: the pandemic? We started in the pandemic. We started May of 2020 with our business. And then this model we started about a year ago was when we did our first deal on this model. And since we've done, we've done like 15 on this model, um, we did 75 wholesales. So that's just getting a cash number and then selling it at a higher price to another cash investor and just taking the spread, not owning the property. This one's better because it's higher revenue, yeah, it's yeah. cash flow, and it's equity, and then it's also more purposeful. That's
1: it. That's it. I, I think it was, I think it was Peter Peter Drucker who said it's not worth doing something. You have to choose like one thing you'd like to do versus like everything that's like seductive to do. So I think doing this one model and replicating it and ha- having a moat around it, that that this is a winning strategy.
2: What do you mean by having a moat say- around it?
1: Like it's like a it's a very like defensible kind of like concept given the structure innate in the real estate industry if you can disrupt it and you are the leader in that disruptible space you win because you don't have to like compete and compete and compete and compete and compete let others compete you just you know improve and retain but you don't have to compete you yeah. can retain the model and some moat around it because you are the leaders with this own. Yeah. Life.
2: And what's super crazy is uh we could be buying houses for cash at like fair market rates and still make a lot of money on this model if we had yeah. enough cash. Yeah, because we're selling like usually 115% of market value with 15% down, you know, a couple percent above yeah. market interest rate. Other people don't have that exit strategy.
1: Is it only through you three guys in the team, or is there more?
2: No, we have a lot of people. <laughs> And we're trying to keep the payroll going. So we have a uh, nice, yeah, we have three more guys in our office full time doing the different sides of the one's running marketing, one's running acquisition sales, running one's running disposition sales. And then we have a handful of VAs that are all helping to support the business in various ways. We got like 12 of us right now that are working on the company,
1: all with like real estate backgrounds or like compliance or like, you know, accounting or finance or,
2: uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess two of our our guys have solid real estate background. They were loan officers for several years. Um all three of the guys that are not the founders were making six figures in sales in real estate before um before yeah. this. Yeah. We just need some money, I guess. It seems like it's the main thing to be able to buy more deals. Se- sourcing enough deals where the sellers yeah. will leave their mortgage in place has been our ch- our biggest challenge recently. There's just not enough people that we know of right now. We don't have enough brand recognition. We don't have enough marketing going out perhaps but also being yeah. able to buy these houses for cash at 80% of value or 85. A lot of sellers would say yes to that. They're going to walk away with 90% with a realtor yeah. and go through all the headaches. We just don't have the cash, you know, to yeah, be able yeah. to pay for houses. So it's like finding investors or building a fund would be a new thing that a new yeah. arm of the business that feels daunting, but if we're committed to the model, that's probably a, a big thing to unlock the potential.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it could be some some good upside there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels like at this stage we have we finally have a model that we really like and we enjoy because it it's like it's helping yeah. people with every side of of the transaction as well. Like we're helping sellers out challenging situations. We're helping buyers acquire, find properties when they couldn't get financed by a bank. Um, I think yeah. now it's a, a strong stage of, of execution, and one of the challenges I think we're facing is like having people, especially the founders and and our. our people in person here have really focused in on one thing and honing in on one thing so that we can really dive in and, and execute at a really high level. Yeah. And I think Tanner mentioned you
2: like, like cluttered in terms of the vision, like so many people want this is the vision. No, that's the vision. No, I think we're pretty clear on the vision actually, which has been a huge win recently. I think we're all behind the same vision, which yeah, I was ner- originally nervous that that wasn't going to happen, but that's happened. Um, it's hard to convert people from what they're what they're used to to this and this has more risk in certain ways because no one else is doing it, but it also has way more upside. We can like, you know, build our own destiny and live it with our genuine impact and do so completely transparently, which I love. It's more so what he what Phil's yeah, talking exactly. about is just the roles and responsibilities is is still cluttered. There's still a lot of yeah. overlap in, in what we who's doing what and
1: how can you re- decrease the overlap in the role? Maybe siloing different Teams or different functions, like how can you decrease, you know, overlap?
0: It's it's challenging. We we need people to self-manage departments, and then the thing is, like the the founders get pulled into all all the decisions in different departments as well. So it pulls us out. We're like at, at this stage that we need to be also executing mm-hmm. and doing.
1: How do you how do you incentivize your team, like say your EAs or or other you know auxiliary partners? How are they incentivized to You produce growth or... Yeah,
2: so I'm also trying this kind of innovative model of what I'm calling like a five-year financial freedom plan. So yeah, the goal is to get to $30,000 a month in cash flow for the three founders to each be at 10K. That is financially free for for me, Bryce and Phil. Um, And then at that point, it turns on to a split where 40% of the equity and cash flow goes to employees. And so there's like an employee pool So it's kind of like employee ownership because they are also building this ship. It's not built yet for them. So they have have some stake in the ownership and they have risk associated with making less money for a year, two years, three years while this thing's getting built up. But then they can very quickly do more than just keep a commission. They get to also keep cash flow and keep equity. So that's kind of one big thing I'm doing to get each of them to 10K a month over five years. And then in the meantime, it's, re- it's based on revenue. So um, it's incremental by 50K. Yeah. So the first 50K, they get just a, a small meager commission because that's not profitable yet for the business itself after payroll and taxes and savings and marketing. But then between 50 and 100, it goes up and then 100 to 150, and this is on a monthly basis. So we yeah. think we can be in that 100 to 150 range on a monthly basis, which would yield each of them eight to 10K a month in commissions while also building up the, the portfolio to where, you know, the clock starts on their financial freedom plan in a year, year and a half.
1: I like that a graduated approach.
2: It's a combination of them getting paid for, for sales, but also like them getting, you know, paid for the ownership of what that they're taking right now.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love like commission sales because you're incentivized to like work harder, you know, smarter, more efficiently.
2: Yeah. yeah. So it's like this shit, and then they have like the base. Like, I I feel like we we've been owning this this employee thing of like rather than being an employee, they are an intrapreneur. They have entrepreneur capabilities, but they only have one one yeah. department or one arm of the company yeah. to be responsible for. And that's kind of who we've attracted. Yeah. Nice.
1: I like the phrasing. I like the phrasing.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't intend this to be like a consulting thing necessarily, but. Thank you for for sharing your insights into that. No pleasure, anything to do. That. Yeah, thank you. On this podcast, I'd like to talk a lot about purpose. I think purpose is a general theme, and so yeah. I, I'm really curious, like how you define purpose for you, and how you define your specific purpose.
1: I'd say purpose for me is really a set of actions, you know, that really allow me to go in the direction like I want to take my life towards. So I, I'd say it's a series of of actions and it's a series of steps that leads you to an end goal. For me, my purpose is helping people, you know, become the better versions of themselves, essentially, become more resilient, become more adaptable to change, especially, you know, young people come operating in this pet post-pandemic world, how they can become better off, more adaptable, more resilient. That's how I, I see my purpose. And that's how I see my, my endeavors, like my books, etc., mm. going in like that direction. I want to help, you know, people younger than myself really find that what is it that they truly want to do, because I feel so many people, you know, are like, there's so much noise out there, but and there's so little why, but that there's so many hows. You know, you have the tools to build a, a rocket if you want. Or build like a true fort if you want, but you have no concrete why to do what you want to do. Like you have to get crystal clear on the why, and then every everything else can really take care of.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So this is also very central to what I'm trying to do as well. I think we share a really similar purpose about helping people figure out what they truly want to do. What is that true gift that they need to express to the world? So one thing that I, that we, I found in our business that I've been told is going to happen again and again is we just had a girl leave us and she's leaving because in this business, she's figured out that she has a big potential, that she has a big purpose and that she sees that we're living on ours. And yeah. so she feels called to go and really figure out what hers are. And she thinks that she needs to do that outside of the business in a new environment. She's moving to Hawaii to do a yoga yoga yeah. teacher training and just have an open-ended like backpacker, solo traveler mindset after that. I've been like really hurt by it because it's like, oh, she's leaving our community and our family. But at the same time as I've like grieved it, I've realized like, this is really good that people are coming into our ecosystem and awakening to that they have like this possibility and potential to really like find their dharma and, you know, their unique path. Yeah. So what tips do you have for people that are like trying to, that are awakening to this sense that there's something more for them than just a nine to five or just being like, something in a business and they want to find their own thing, but they maybe feel intimidated to do like what we're doing, which is like super high risk of like putting money on credit cards and going with no jobs and, you know, figuring out a business model that may or may not work. What if someone just wants to find a way to make a decent income and spend time like, you know, writing, reading, maybe consulting people, things of that Mm -hmm. nature, which I think she's more in line with that. And I think that's probably more common. What advice do you have for people that are going through changes like that?
1: I'd say the first thing is, is recognize if there's no friction, there would be no action. Mm. There'd be no call to action if there was no friction. Maybe within the organization, like if you're getting pushback from a boss or if you're getting teammates, etc. That's external, you know, friction, external resiliency. But then there's the internal component as well. If you feel within yourself that you know you're tapped out, you can't operate at a level you think you can. Have the freedom to take the different choice. There's never been a better time to just take the freedom to do that. You know, go to what it is that you truly think you want to do. Maybe try a bunch of things. Never be afraid to try a bunch of things and then work backwards. Say, so, you know, what one of these endeavors gave me a set of skills that could take to another destination, another journey. And I think the other thing is like, you know, companies like yourselves, are giving these people opportunities to do that. What they want to do is have a lot of opportunities, and out of those opportunities, what one speaks to them. So find something that, that really speaks to you on on a deeper level, because everything has a has a reward. You know, has a cost, has a reward, has has an opportunity. But never feel afraid to make that leap. Never be afraid to say that you know this is what i want to do this is how i want to show up i think so many people they're they're really scared to really find themselves cuz there's there's fomo <clears throat> you know there's there's fomo fear of missing out fear of missing if i do if i go on this path can i make revenue or can i make you know my parents proud or can i make so and so happy but they have to focus inward and say How am I making myself happy day in and day out? And then I'd say there's another thing. Como, a cost of missing out. (laughs) A cost of missing out. There's a cost of missing out on your dreams. Cost of missing out on your dreams. Everything has a cost. A cost of missing out on what it is that you're truly meant to do. How hard are you willing to work? How high are you willing to soar? You know, there's a a great book I love by uh, Jonathan Bach, Jonathan Livingston, sorry, Richard Bach. The book's called Jonathan Livingston. Yeah,
2: I like that one a lot. And it's a
1: single who meant, yeah, it's an incredible book. So never be afraid of soaring heights. Never be afraid of listening to what it is that you're truly meant to do. And remember, there's a cost of missing out. It's okay to pay that cost of going with where everyone else is going. It's okay to pay that cost some costs are good some costs are not good. you have to figure out what cost you want to pay
2: yeah and what happens if the dream is just unclear but you know like what you're currently doing isn't your dream you have this sense that there's a bigger dream but you don't know what it is how do you go about making that leap
1: so you know when you're driving a car in the rain and there's rain on the windshield and the vision is blurry you can't see miles and miles ahead you put the windshield wipers on The witch with wipers, though, is the strategy. When the vision is blurry, when you have a set of defined strategies and a set of tactics and you're willing to go through it incrementally and you're willing to fail and you're willing to not let your ego get in the way of things and you're willing to go through adversity one step at a Mm -hmm. time, the journey to the next green light seems shorter. It seems more clear. So you know we have to be willing to do the simple you know tactics. We must be have, willing to have an ingrained sets of rituals, personally and and most importantly within an organization. If if we're going to have an organizational like roadmap to get to the future, we must be willing to implement uh, an SOR, a standard operating ritual in our workplace. Mm, standard
2: operating ritual. So what does that like look like? Like no matter what your environment is, where you're at in your journey, you can always come to like some sort of inner peace and clarity. Is that is that what's a standard operating ritual?
1: So that's a ritual you can implement starting today or starting, you know, when the next work day is Monday morning. Monday morning, gather your team around together and say, what are we willing to do to make this quarterly deliverable, uh, yearly deliverable, monthly deliverable? How, what are we willing to do to make it work? You know, I define a ritual as a set of, of practices that enable teams to become much better and go to the next level of performance. Because mm-hmm. a ritual is, is a set of deeply ingrained practices that when done again and again and again, mm-hmm. get you to that level. So if we take the Native Indians uh, as a perfect example of coming together Setting up a TP or a potluck; those are ingrained rituals in the community that lead people to become happier, lead to some set of community spirit. So that's one thing I'm I'm really suggesting is you know we all have that in in our companies and our organizations to be willing to do that. One of the things that I like to do that I I specifically recommend is I specifically recommend I say to okay gather your teams around a conference room table or in an open in, in an open environment because you want to be physically open like an open space physically and an open space emotionally to bond with you know your teammates and your clients and your your core members of your team and now what i suggest is i say gather one around and write on a whiteboard or talk to a teammate and say you know What was your journey like before you got to this moment? Number one. What was the greatest moment of adversity you faced? Number two. And be willing to be real, be willing to... Because so too often when we get into an organization, like a big organization, we've ticked off a box that HR wants us to tick off. But we want to go much deeper. We want to embrace greater levels of authenticity. And we do that by becoming real about our journeys, the moments of adversity, what challenges have shaped us to our core Mm. that we're not willing to to share in an interview, but we can right now because so-and-so is leading this charge. We're developing a positive set of rituals that are going to enable us to bond better with our team members to get us over the hump to um, when we're faced with the ritual, the challenge.
2: Yeah, I really like that. Absolutely. That resonates a lot with me.
1: I really find that, like, there's no one that really wants to talk about challenges and really wants to talk about adversity and really wants to talk about, you know, the struggles that really shaped me. But what better time now than today? Mm. What better time now than today to start to talk and be real with your team members and be real with the people that really want you to make this endeavor work
2: absolutely and then how does the accountability work after that like if you say i'm going to own this and here's like where i'm going to be able to thrive but here's where i might fall short how do you you know you can't just keep having these like powwow rituals all the time right you got to also do the execution do the work how does that follow through look like then
1: well that's at a, a like a macro level if you're looking across the team in a boardroom setting, that's a macro-level strategy. Mm-hmm. But then you can have a, a micro-level strategy, which is a small, maybe an intimate huddle. And you're both holding each other accountable. You're the, Because the, sec, the third R I share in the three R's of resiliency model is reaffirm. You're reaffirming to your team member, to someone next to you uh, in a buddy system, that we're reaffirming together, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're gonna be real to one another. We're gonna be authentic about our our challenges, and that's gonna give us the firepower to persevere when things get hard.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. It seems like you also have this concept about like uh turning doubt into confidence, fear into fuel, defeat into victory. Yeah. How do you tap into um like when you're in the midst of you know, the emotional opposite, how do you, how do you switch that um, through these type of, you know, maybe small intimate huddles or these rituals? Like, how do you go about if the demeanor of the team is like downtrodden or overwhelmed or tired or fatigued? How do you like switch that into an authentic feeling of the opposite?
1: Like so too often, we've all been in jobs where it's like people are shouting at you through a bullhorn put your game face on or really, you know, stop being like so downtrodden about for morale or whatever, whatever uh, adjectives you would like to use. But I, I think we need a different approach in a post pandemic environment where it has gotten more febrile. It has gotten more, you know, it, there's never been a greater call to an intimate office environment as today's times right mm-hmm. now. So one thing. That, to really do face with, you know, the emotional polar opposites, like take fear into fuel. You could say to someone, "What is scaring you about this situation? What really is scaring you about this situation? Like, really dive deep into that. Do you want to talk about it on a one on one level? What's scaring you about the situation? How can you think? How can you ponder?" Strategies to really, really shift from a fearful stance to something that really fuels your your ambition, really fuels your your sense of agency to own that moment in your company. Mm. One thing I love it's uh, it, it's a it's an article by Dr. Leslie Becker Phelps, PhD, and what she says is the origin story of the response. And what is the origin story of your fear? Where did it come from? Where did it lie within you that is making this moment in your business or, you know, around your, your fellow co-workers or your, maybe you're in front of a boss? Why are you scared? Is it an authority figure mm. that maybe you were, you were people-pleasing as a child? Was it something like that? Because we have to go you know, micro at times to go macro. So it's those simple exercises and taking time out to to reenvision that to really help people recalibrate the sense of agency to own that moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like this a lot. And then you talk about resiliency. I, I think another thing that, that comes up when I think about resiliency is also kind of like flow states. And Mm -hmm. I sense that there's still some confusion um, amongst our team a little bit about what it means to be in flow. There's this sense that it's like following your bliss. It's only doing things that make you feel um, happy and excited and are enjoyable. But there's also this sense that it's like getting hard work done on a consistent basis.
1: How do you define
2: flow? Phil, what would you say is your sense of flow? How do you define flow?
0: Um, for me, flow is, is for the sports analogy is when like, you're in the zone, like when you're in that space, you're like in the zone where everything's clicking, where you're just naturally moving and naturally flowing.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say that like and like nothing else matters. Yeah. What one thing I've I've noticed has happened is the girl I was mentioning earlier has started to define flow more like only doing things that make her feel happy and inspired. And if the work is not happy and inspired, she doesn't want to do it. And so, like, we've been having this, like, culture thing, like, kind of come into our business as well. Maybe more of, like, a feminine definition of flow. How do you reconcile flow and resiliency and, like, grit? Like, when things get hard, when things are not exactly what you want to work on, but it's needed to get through this stage, how do you how do you think through that? I think what your ex-team member was alluding to was certain inputs
1: to get to flow. So, flow is... Yeah, the input and then the flow and then the output. Mm -hmm. So you have to input, yes, things that fuel your passion, that really, you know, give you purpose, work you love to do, that will keep you in flow for longer to get a greater output. Mm -hmm. I really define flow as being in that pocket, like Phil mentioned, where nothing else matters. You know, the external forces don't matter. You know, what people's perceptions of you don't matter or what people's perceptions of your work are don't matter because perception is reality only in that moment. It's not a fixed like presence. Mm -hmm. That's how I would define flow. How I would define grit. And if we break grit down, great results in time, great results in time. That's how I would define grit. If you're grittier, you can last longer. If you're grittier, you can outperform and you can perform better. Your output will be better because you're willing to put in and change certain inputs to qualitatively change your output. I would define resiliency. So if you look at the Latin word of resiliency, resilire, I think that and that does mean to rebound and to recoil. So it has a spring, it allows you to go backward to push forward, though. So I would define resiliency in that sense. You know, it's a set resiliency is, you know, it's a set of attributes that really allow you to to come back stronger and really, you know, really last longer to perform better, to to really respond better to challenges. Mm. really respond better to external challenges, internal challenges, uh, because you have a more toughened sense of self in that moment. Now, if you look at post-pandemic, there's a lot of trauma that's been just absorbed within us, haven't lived through, you know, two and a half, three years of pandemic life. So the question becomes is, is the post-traumatic growth and resiliency and what is the difference between the two, and how that will apply personally and professionally in your businesses, and post post traumatic growth might seem like resiliency, but post traumatic growth growth after trauma is defined by sets of four attributes, and it's really how has it fundamentally affected your life, fundamentally affected your sets of beliefs, fundamentally affected your sense of joy. And peace in the world, and most importantly, in your life. If those four sets of criteria are not met, you do not have post traumatic growth. You are a more resilient person. You have more predisposition to become resilient, but you have not met the threshold for post traumatic growth.
2: Hmm. Wow, that's some deep stuff. <laughs> I, I really like the concept that resiliency is about kind of recoiling or rebounding like p- coming backwards to push forward, I-, I can definitely resonate with that in our business recently. And then, yeah, post-traumatic growth, it seems like you're saying that there's some sort of false sense of accomplishment with that, like that that's common. People think that they've grown from trauma, but really they ha- they don't actually feel those positive feelings enough. That's
1: a groundbreaking study that I,
2: I did come across. And there's groundbreaking
1: research on that, especially post-pandemic. Uh, what are the effects of post-traumatic growth? How can it be reconciled, if any, with a, with uh, pure resiliency? Because we could be purely resilient and not have post traumatic growth, or we can have post traumatic growth and not be more resilient. Mm. So it's a very interesting interplay between the two.
2: Yeah, which I guess can lead us to your new book, The Underdog. Is yeah. it? Yeah, it seems like this yeah. is a central theme in your book. Do you want to share kind of what you've written and? Yeah, just how do you want to present your book right yeah,
1: now? Yeah, 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 definitely. Really, the, the premise of the underdog is we're all underdogs in this post-pandemic world. We have to start from carte blanche. We have to start right now. Really, the underdog is a book on how to shed fear, eviscerate doubt, and to own your greatest powers. There never been has been a better time. And we all have been underdogs, you know, the greatest CEOs, the people who... Dream of being CEOs. We all are underdogs. The fundamental fact of a human is to be an underdog, it is to be doubted. And really, you know, a thesis I had when I wrote the book was we have this concept of an underdog, which is some kind of socioeconomic deprivation, a real rags to riches. But I want to reframe an underdog as you can be Tom Brady level and yet still be an underdog because it's the situations that count in that moment. Maybe could have suffered a setback at work Mm. or uh, a job loss or uh, an ex-parent or a divorce. We are all underdogs in that moment. So it's circumstances as opposed to status that determine the the trajectory of success.
2: I like that. So it's not about like, this necessarily like black and white like you you came from poverty and now you're achieving riches it's like yeah no. you can be no, you can no. you can have all of those things going for you but in the moment the the situation like right now Patrick Mahomes' ankle for example would be right he's about to play the AFC <laughs> championship game with a high ankle sprain he's the best one yeah. in the NFL right now but his body is not where it needs to be um so he's in an underdog position is that is that kind of what you're exactly. saying
1: exactly it's the circumstance how are you going to perform with your ankle? Can you avail of your inner drive? Can you be resilient in that moment? Can you call on what rituals is he going to implement? I think his rituals are going to be top level. But what are you going to do in that moment to shift the outcome?
2: Yeah. And for me, I've been like grieving the loss of this employee I've been referencing, and our business is not making enough money, and they need me as a CEO to step up. Yeah. So you're saying that you call on rituals. Like what do you do in these underdog moments to be able to to shed fear, investerate doubt, own your greatest power?
1: You you go back to basics. Really, you really it's a, it, it is a call to go back to basics. It's embracing the simplest things. It's really making people feel welcome, welcome to go and welcome to come in. You're welcome to go, not in a rude way, but you're welcome to go because I provided you with a platform for growth that is enabled you to flourish. So you want to make people feel that and make people feel that you this is the place for you to be. We're building a, a cutting-edge platform that's three-pronged, that's disrupting the real estate industry. That way, nothing has been done before. This is the place for you to be to have the best impact in your career and the greater ownership in your career. Nice. Wow. And I mean... Even in the underdog, you'll see it, and I'll send you guys and your team signed copies. But I, I'm going to be sharing very different lessons, very different tactics than uh, than the curveball. So stay tuned for that.
0: Amazing! I, I love this. Your, this book sounds absolutely incredible. I'm really excited to to dive in and have, have our team dive in as well. Um, I keep hearing you say say ritual. I know you talked about ritual, but this seems to be an important word for you. Where, where, where does that Where does that come from?
1: Ritual? I don't know. I, I mean I I I love implementing like like a ritual. You know, I, I love to have coffee over my balcony. I love to go into the same park every single day. I love to drink the same, you know, beer, wine, the same because it's a ritual. It makes me feel good.
0: And when things get really challenging and really tough, what are some rituals that you have to bring yourself back to that state of centerness and back to your to your highest state? I really you know, I'm a great fan
1: of going back into the past, not to begrudge it, but to really learn from it. Those who don't remember the past are do to repeat it. But what has worked in the past? How was I able to, to redefine myself? You know, when I was faced with challenges, how did I respond? How did I get back up? When I had my difficult learning disability moment, you know, how did I you know reconfigure myself? And for people to take a, some time to get out of the crisis mode, get out of that challenge mode and say, we have it within ourselves. Resiliency begins from within. And I, I share that in my keynotes. You know, resiliency begins from within. Take a step back, implement these tactics, implement these rituals, start at carte blanche, don't be afraid. The resilience, the rebounding, you know, like a coil, you have a set of inner resiliency within you that just waiting to be called out. So that's what I like to do. What I also like to do is I like to call family. I like to call friends, um, confidants. Like I have great friends that I've known for 13, 14, 15, 16 years. So I call on them at, when I when I feel down.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I love this. It's, it's kind of like going back to – I do the similar thing when I with, with friends and family. It's kind of like going back to being reminded what of are you, who doing
1: you- with, What do you like to do?
0: <laughs> it was turning you back on us. Um, yeah. I, I I, love, I love what you said. I think the really interesting one that you said was going back to moments of resiliency that you've had in your past. This, that's not one that I, I normally do, but it sounds like what you're saying was kind of reminding yourself of moments in time where you had to be resilient. Is that, is that right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I I find, I find.
1: What are the, Best examples I loved was Michael Jordan's "The Last Dance." Mm. You know when he was cut from his high school team, he went back, I think, to his, his older brother Larry, and said, "Beat the crap out of me on the ball court," because he kept getting the crap kicked out of him. Because that made him more resilient, and he just owned the game. He owned it. And and by the way, I think MJ is the goat.
2: Just saying. I agree. The Last Dance made that very clear.
1: <laughs> LeBron's the best player, MJ is always the goat.
0: What What are your thoughts on being motivated by, um, by frustration or being done wrong in the past or things like that? It seems like Michael Jordan had like a lot of his motivators where, you know, he would he would create tension within his life by like pretending that somebody like didn't think he could do it.
1: I love that. I I think those are so underrated as like success strategies. Really, to have like that that sense of grievance that never leaves you. For like years and years and years, I think it's so powerful. It it can be destru- destructive, so you want to walk that balance. But I I think nothing motivates you than like slights. You know, like I mean, one thing I I, I will share is there's a character in the book, and it's um it's named after uh, like an ex girlfriend of mine that wronged me, and I remember that, and I'm just like, I viscerally felt in that moment. I'm like, I have to do something with this. Like this book is very personal, but yet very universal. As we're all underdogs, we're all in this moment together. We everyone has been an underdog. But that that really really deeply affected me. So
2: I had to be something creative with that. Absolutely. So your book, when does it when does your book publish? Has it published yet? Uh, probably within the next week. Okay, cool. And, uh, is there any, th- on, on Amazon? Yeah. What's, what's happening with your book launch? Like, what are you, what does that look like for you as the author? Are you doing some sort of, a, of event around it? Are you hosting any sort of mastermind yeah, yeah. or I'm gonna what- be doing an event in, in London? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well I'm going to be doing an event in London, like an in-person event. So and then I'm going to invite a lot of people to that event. Yeah. Wow. Is London your home base then? Yeah, it is. Cool. I moved here last year okay so you've only been there a year in london but it's your home now
1: i've been here a year but i've been coming for my whole life like i went to law school in the uk a lot of family is here my mates are here yeah very cool i, I want to come to kansas though. i've heard you know kansas barbecue is like the best in the it's world it's
2: super good yeah i love it <laughs> maybe you can show me Maybe one time you can show me some good spots. Yeah, man. It'd be, re- it'd be great to have you through, especially once our team does a book club on your book and yeah, we yeah, do these definitely. rituals and we're taking off.
1: If there's anything I could do to help your team or anything like that, just let me know. Absolutely. That'd be cool. I'll give you the Colby Sharma in-person treatment, you know, proper like stage, like proper, just like in, in front of everyone, you know, like.
2: Cool. You have to be okay with our pug. We have a, we have a small pug that is also, in, will be in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be cool, man. We have a, we have, we have a, a big home that we found in our business and we moved into. And so it's like 4,000 square feet. We have five acres. We have a swimming pool. We've had like three, four events that have over a cool. hundred people at cool. them. We're hosting our next one next weekend that should have probably 75 oh, or amazing. so. So we're, we're doing things to create a, a community. And then we, we office out of our house. So we have se- seven people every day coming over to, to work in our house. So it, it's a it's a vibe. And it also looks like the 1970s in some ways because like you see, we haven't really renovated yeah, the yeah, house. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd have a lot of fun.
1: That's amazing. I, I love the focus on community. That's so strong to see, you know, real community-led business.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we... Uh... We both have our own journey in the community, but I've definitely tried to do life alone. And so has Phil and so you know, I a lot of people have. And um, I think the, the, you know, COVID time was a time that it really highlighted how much is missing in how much we take for granted in our relationships and being able to be in person, not just on Zoom and laughing, smiling, growing together, I think one of the most valuable things, regardless of how our revenue feels, that feels like we're winning in, in that regard.
1: We, we have to do something in person. This conversation was too high value not to have an in person like addition. Like, I, I refuse to only do it over Zoom. Cool.
2: We'll put a Col- Colby Sharma visit on the milestone board
0: And Kansas is a tree. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That'd
2: be fun. Well, cool. Anything else you want to share before we sign off?
1: No, um, that's it. You know, if anyone wants to purchase the curveball, they can find it on Amazon. Um, stay tuned for the underdog to be released soon uh because i don't find me on instagram at colby sharma official linkedin colby sharma website www.colbysharma.com
2: awesome well yeah thanks
1: and you know if anyone wants to acquire but that's it cool
2: well yeah i appreciate you being on the show today uh, i yeah i think like your mindset is your mindset's original like it's really nice to you know i've done a 100 interviews now with people and what you talk about is is stuff I've never thought about before, and that's always such a gem to be able to, you know, right here in in Kansas on the laptop with someone in London that's like, you know, a brilliant thinker to be able to walk away with new things to ponder. Yeah, I, I really that, you
1: know, we, we're
2: only like a product of people that you know we're surrounded by. Like
1: I, I'm
2: really grateful to
1: be you know, my dad's son, you know, learning from him, like being guided by him. So it really means a lot that you say that.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. I'm sure your dad influenced you a whole bunch. Like he yeah, deeply yeah, immersed totally, in, in the lifestyle.
1: Totally. Totally. But he was really good not to just like force, you know, he's like, if you want to do it, I'll support you a gazillion percent, you know, law, banking, you know, this, like, I'll support you to the end of the Why'd earth. you go
2: into those things and not go into the Himalayans and go live with the monks? would <laughs> be like a monk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: well, take the, like the law one. Like it was motivated partly because you know he went to law, and, but I also love the subject in school as well. So like, let me just try. it. Let me just go to law school, see what it's like. I loved law school. Like I loved the degree. I loved learning. Didn't really like it in practice as much.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, writing, you know, writing. In addition, speaking. I. I like in speaking, it's, it's so me, you know, I debated in, in high school. I, I mooted in law school. Uh, I love to be in front of people. Like it, it's such a natural thing.
2: That's super cool. Yeah. Debate was my sport in high school. I quit all the ones, baseball, basketball, football to oh, go yeah? all and on debate. <laughs> oh, yeah. <nice>. I also <laughs> almost went to law school after teaching in Thailand. I took my LSATs twice. I visited oh, yeah? like a dozen law schools and then decided never to apply. <laughs> It's
1: not for the pain of yeah.
2: play. <laughs> that's cool. But yeah, your dad's book The Monk Who re- Who Sold His Ferrari was a huge uh influence on me. Um and yeah, that that's the story of, you know, him being in the law space but some guy like losing his whole like heart and soul and life and joy and then finding it in the Himalayas. I'm sure those those things really stuck with you like exactly. it's re- that, I hope to give my kid that gift. That from yeah. a young age, they understand what actually matters and it's not chasing these materialistic world things where you're in comparison. I'm sure your dad gave you that gift.
1: Yeah, I yet I find sometimes you know, I, I have, I was unconclused with that, but like I did also learn on my own journey, like, you know, what is it that I truly want to do? Because I think so many times you can be given like, you know, subliminally or not subliminally like guidance, but you are only walking in your own path. You know, like take Robert Frost, you know, the road less taken. So what path are you walking? How are you walking it? What are you learning on your own individual path? And it's a great space to be in. It's a great time to be alive because like you're learning so much. You know, the world's never been as open as it is, it's never been as connected as it is. So for people coming up today, like what are they doing on their own path? How are they furthering their own You know, goals. What is it truly that they're walking towards? Are only are they only seeing the forest through the trees? Mm. They're not really being clear about what lies lies ahead.
2: I love it. Yeah, I'm. That was you. You memorized Harry Potter. I memorized this poem when I was like in second grade. I still got it in my head.
1: same i love
2: it that's awesome <laughs> well man i i appreciate this time we get to share and i'm sure this is not the last we have to man, we have to do this every now and then yeah yeah man like uh we can talk after a little bit more but i appreciate you being on the show i appreciate you bringing like your bright energy your original mindset um speaking into our business too that's definitely not something that you have to do and i appreciate you holding that space for us Yeah, I wish you all the best. I'm sure, yeah, your book is gonna change a lot of lives.
1: Thanks, my friend, really appreciate it. Thank you for this great great time with you. Bill, nice to chat with you as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you as well. Thank you.
2: So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices as well as receive daily inspiration, Follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits inspiration I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard, and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming.